I used to fool around with cars when I was a kid. Drive around all night like speed freak listening to the radio. I used to have my special tape that had my killer track on it. Get me flying. You got one of those? Sure. Well, what is it? Rotten Rock. What? Queen? <laughs> Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's a podcast where we talk about movies, and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis, and joining me this week, I have Gabriel Rodriguez. Hi there. Hi. And Kristen Stubblefield. I'm not sure how to introduce myself without <laughs> I'm Dusty White. Uh, and I'm Dusty White. <laughs> That's <laughs> your show. That's fine. Um, so you guys were are part of, or you part of, you are the Gray Muzzle Geekery podcast, correct? Correct. We are. Excellent. And we also uh, were all contestants on ANTP season two. Um, Gabe and I actually worked together. Um, I didn't get a chance to work with Kristen, but now I get to. So, hey. I, w- I was being hogged by Bobby every time. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is episode number 51 of this show. And the movie we watched this week was Baby Driver. Now, I had never seen this before. Kristen, you had not seen it before either, correct? I, I had not. Okay. And Gabe, you had seen part of it maybe? I have seen it like played at a party. Okay. And it's just kind of playing out in the background and such. Um, so it was like one of those things of like I turn and cars are driving. Like, okay, and I turn <laughs> again. Oh, more cars are driving. And I turn again. I'm like, okay, I get the theme of this movie. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a lot of that. So... This is, uh, this is actually probably the most recent film that we've covered on the show yet. Uh, it came out in okay. 2017, um, and it just happens to be that's the way the show goes. You know, We do a lot of older movies because I'm surprised when somebody hasn't seen Die Hard or Top Gun or something like that. For sure. Um, but this was uh, 2017 and di- written and directed by Edgar Wright. Now, I bring that up because he, I love Edgar Wright as a director, and we've covered two of his movies on this show already, which were Hot Fuzz and The World's End. I don't know how I hadn't seen this. <laughs> I mean, had you seen Scott Pilgrim yet? I'm guessing you have. No. No? No. Oh, Scott Pilgrim is the best. I, I keep hearing that. <laughs> it's, yeah, I, there's this period of time where I missed a bunch of movies and I just never got around to watching them and Scott Pilgrim fell into that period of time. Oh, put it on your list. Very, very interesting. Very um, unique. I, I saw a few overlapping things from Scat Pilgrim to this. Um, so yeah, it was it. It's very good. I, I suggest you you take a take a gander at it for sure. Oh, it's definitely on my list. Um, <laughs> it Edgar Wright. So you mentioned you saw some some similarities. Edgar Wright has those. You know, he's one of those directors that has those signatures that he does those little things. And I love him as a director. I love his Cornetto trilogy, um, mm-hmm. Shaun of the Dead, and that's why we covered the other two. I just couldn't find anybody who had never seen Shaun of the Dead. So, Yeah, that's but iconic for sure. It really is. Um, but this was really good. Um, I, like, I, knew it, I knew I would enjoy it. I didn't realize how good of a film this was. So this was the first film he directed in the U.S. too. Correct. And was shot in the U.S. Um, 
And, you know, I usually like to start off with the cast and kind of talk about that. And uh, this kid, Ansel Elgort, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Yeah, I um, think you got it. <laughs> he, uh, he was great. I mean, you know, the character is very stoic. He His voice reminded me of Josh Hartnett. Oh, yeah, that's that. I wouldn't even have put that two and two together. Very, he's like a younger don't mind the pun but baby-faced josh harnett mm-hmm. now that you say that i could oh man you nailed that travis <laughs> that's sure. like the voice i just i kept hearing josh hartnett the whole time but um the the cast itself is great i mean john ham is yeah chewing scenery up and apparently he the the role of buddy was written for him like he was the only one considered for buddy uh and he was great i love john ham um i wish john bernthal had been in it more as griff he was in the you know first part yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe <laughs> they first man first man taken out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just didn't have space for his ears. <laughs> hey, <laughs> dude's got some big ears. You can't can't deny I, I, that. I feel that. I feel that <laughs> oh, are you be, are you feeling attacked? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, no, John Hamm, John Bernthal. I love both of them. So that was fun to see. I just I would have liked more John Bernthal. Um, yeah. because really his character and Jamie Foxx, who was also very good in it, their characters weren't that dissimilar and you almost could have had them both be the same, you know, the have one wild, or the wild, other. Crazy guy. Yeah. yeah. Seem like it was a seamless transition between the two. Like obviously they kind of reassembled the team, but put in uh, Jamie Foxx or put in Bax and you can see that they try to go with that same formula of like, okay, here's the crazy one. And yeah. And I get, you know, they they never have the same exact crew twice. So, and if right. you have Buddy, you're going to have Darling, right? Eliza, uh, Isa, Isa. I, I, I want. So. I wanted to read that as Eliza, really bad. Uh, <laughs> Gonzalez, who she was also, she was having a, a blast. But you know, you're going to get the two of them as a package deal in whatever configuration you you get. So, you can't have Griff again. Um, nice little cameo from Flea. That was fun. Uh, as yeah, no knows, Gabe, Gabe nailed that one. Yeah, I'm, I am not. I'm generally speaking, I'm like it's easy to point me out as someone who doesn't watch a lot of movies. I'm not a huge movie guy, and music is my thing, which is probably another reason why I like this movie so much. Mm-hmm. I like music, so being able to get in from the get go and then seeing Flea on there, I kind of like bounced a little bit in my chair. And like, <laughs> yeah, Flea. It's always fun to see Flea in something. He just. He he very rarely has much of a part, but he it's always memorable. He this is the second time we've seen him in a movie for this show because he had a, a cameo in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas yep. uh, as well. Yep. Um, that's one of our connections. I like to find connections to our previous movies. Nice. That's one. Kevin Spacey's another one who played Doc. That's the problematic one for me. Um, and I talked about this a, a few weeks ago when we did L.A. Confidential as an actor. Kevin Spacey is phenomenal and he's got such a presence on screen and I going all the way back to seeing him in uh, the usual suspects and seven and stuff in the mid nineties. I've always loved his work. He was on a house of cards. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. But, um, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately he is a terrible person. And it makes it tougher for me to see him in newer stuff. I can still go back and watch L.A. Confidential or um, some of the older movies because it takes me back to when that came out. Mm-hmm. 
so I can look at it a little bit differently, but seeing him in something there, new. There's some innocence to it. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're dealing, with, you're dealing with the Cosby theory basically yeah. all over again. I, Very much I so. Feel like I, I, I even put it in my notes. I, I, and maybe this is a little bit more tangential. Uh, I wonder if he was always so good at those questionably, because he does it in 21 too. Um, he plays those questionable ethically, ethically like just bad people oh yeah and he just does sleazy really well and i now knowing what we know i'm just going man is that just yeah was it some, just uh... too easy for him to act those parts was it just a little too close to home that he could just kind of like click a button and be like oh now i'm just being my actual self I, yeah I don't know. little I, little I, art I imitating life maybe <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, chicken or the egg which came first in that regard yeah, and you know it, it's really tough because I remember when he started his um, production company Trigger Street, and it was all about like helping young writers and producers, you know, helping them get their work going. And I thought, oh, that's great. You know, he's a really he seemed I'd seen interviews with him. He seemed like a really nice guy. Yeah, apparently not. So, um, <laughs> but but he still has an amazing presence on screen. He was great as yeah, Doc. Yeah. He plays. He, it's that type of character. Of Yes, exactly. And, you know, the character was described as like that dad, that father figure who's not really a great person, but he has his moments. And they did that with the when he gets baby and Deborah out at the end. Um, That was like the redeeming part for his character, because up until that, he's just not a good guy. He's like forcing this kid to do stuff pretty much. Right. Uh, I still kind of half cheered when he got backed over again. Like, there's yeah. so much part of me. Yeah, it's Doc, but it's still Kevin Spacey. Seeing yeah. that car back over him again, I'm like, oh, just throw it in the floor. Once more, <laughs> I, I gotta know. I gotta say, I have a note here for myself as I was watching it. Um, I was like, how much was in the back of that BMW when Baby basically lifted it that he had to do those that many jobs? Because right. I mean, it's kind of it's alluded to that there's so much time in between when he met baby and now that he's, you know, making it straight or making coming even, even with doc. Yeah. I'm like, man, the BMW I get probably costs a a pretty penny, but what the heck was in the back of the car when it got lifted that he had to do that many jobs, give doc his cut yeah, <laughs> and then then make up that amount of money to call it even. I'm like, what the heck? And especially since you know, like he mentioned, he was a kid when he did it, right? Sure. So right. he's been doing this for how long? I guess crazy, but you know that's how long he had him under his thumb. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, I don't know, but Kevin Spacey's performance really good in this. He's getting to be that. Um, it was reminiscent of 21 or those kind of Kevin yep. Spacey roles where he's like the. He's the older guy barking out all the orders type of thing. The delegator, the yep. the lead boss. Um, I would definitely re- relate it to like 21 or just even some of the, I would say character wise of the movie itself, he had the most, most depth almost. I hate to put it that way, but he was, he had more, he was more than two di- dimensional. Right. And I guess, I, I guess I should go on docket early here. Um, Travis, I wasn't a fan of the movie. No, okay. No, and I and and even I can I can have Gabe looking at me straight in the face here and questioning me, but I liked 
the artisticness of the movie itself. Well, and that, that is very clearly like defined. Well, they're very defined like, between the music, between the cuts, between everything being in sync. There's a there's a rhythmic pattern to the movie itself. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the characters themselves for me, and I'm very character driven when I watch any or when I'm t- partaking in any type of entertainment. Mm-hmm. The characters themselves were a little flat for me. Okay. I mean, relatable ish, mm-hmm. um, but mostly just kind of flat. But like you said, Kevin Spacey, great on screen, had, uh, completely tangential on that as far as just getting on record early on that I was not a fan. But I'll, I'll go into my my spiel about that later. So yeah. Go ahead, well, we'll we'll touch more <laughs> on that. But you're not wrong. I mean, they are very much caricatures, right? And in some ways, they almost have to be because they're not like Buddy and Darling and Griff and all these uh, people in these heists. They're there to do a job. They have so you're only going to see part of who they are. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. so it's meant to be interchangeable for sure. Yeah. So so, but I get what you're saying, and you're right. I mean, even Baby, to an extent, has he has an arc, and at least you get. I did. I did really like the way they revealed more and more about him throughout the movie, why he yeah. listens to the music and the tinnitus thing, which I want to talk about more in a little bit because it was really cool the way they would use. I'd throw it in there. Yeah, that that they would use that when um, there was no music. Anytime there was, was no music actually, in the movie, you'd get that little bit of a whine from the tinnitus. Yeah, it's the first thing you hear. Mm-hmm. I, I like that was my first note. I was like. Oh, when that's... they're bringing up the TriStar picture. Yeah, it's the first start. That's that the first thing. Pl- like yeah. that sound, that tone is playing right away to kind of catch your attention, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, and I wonder if that's something that you don't catch until it's the second time you watch it. It could be, especially that first one. Like, I caught it when he takes the earbuds out and goes into the post office. I noticed mm-hmm. it then. But that's later on in the movie. And by that point, they've started already talking about kind of what he how he operates and all of that. So, um, no, I, I did like the kid. Uh, what's his name? Um, Hudson Meek played or not, not Hudson Meek. Um, the one that played Sam, the, the nephew. And that was, (laughs) what was cool about that was that apparently that scene was inspired by an actual mobster telling Edgar Wright that he had done that where he took his kid like on a scouting for a heist. Yeah, or took his nephew cool that, or something. Uh, yeah, that uh, Edward Wright would um, kind of like go into that and like take that and m- morph it into the movie itself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wonder, too, if some of the flatness of the characters is this was the first movie that Edgar Wright directed and wrote where he was the sole credit for writing since like 95 or something. One of his early, early, early oh, movies. Oh, okay. So he's he's often collaborated, you know, all the Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and all that he co-wrote with Simon Pegg. Um, right. I think he co-wrote Scott Pilgrim yeah, with somebody I can't remember. Um, Simon Simon Pegg is definitely known for our characters as well. Right, yeah. exactly. His style of writing, his his he is big on character development. So if you're looking at it that way, then it makes sense that Mr. Wright is got more focus on like more stories being told than the characters, obviously, between the music, between the pacing, between. Stuff being in sync and in rhythm, you know, when they're when he's talking to old girl right out the gate, and they got all the or um, later on, and they got all the the washing or the dryers mm-hmm. like spinning in unison in the back, and all very vivid colors. Like there's there's more to attract the eye than just 
it sounds silly and cliche, but there's more to attract the eye than just what is in front of you. And there's a lot of so many details that. Oh yeah, well, and that's that's Edgar Wright. I mean, yeah, Ed, sure. Edgar Wright is that, so good at that. And it makes sense in that regard that if the character writing is flat, is because you could see where the the focus on his writing is. Mm-hmm. Everything else around the character. Yep, exactly. Um, so Deborah, uh, Lily James played Deborah, and. I don't know who she reminded me of throughout the entire movie, um, but she just kept reminding me of somebody, and I, I, I can't place who it is. She kind of had a Emma Watson feel to her. Oh, more Kira Knightley. Okay, I could see maybe like looks wise, she was definitely a little bit more Emma Watson to me. Um, but Kira Knightley's kind of there. I could see it again. Not my favorite character. She seemed a little. Um, I, I am. You are biased towards strong female characters, but she's not strong. Exactly. Like she, the, the strongest she got was at the end with a crowbar, <laughs> and like, I don't know. She was just a little. She was a little flat. Like I said, a little flat for me. The movie itself, um, definitely didn't test the, or you know pass the Bechdel test. No, like you had two. You had two females in there. They don't talk to each other. And and you, they're they're both tied to a man. Like they're both tied to a relationship. Yeah. Like even uh, Darling was, uh, she was kind of a badass with like dual wielding shotguns or whatever they were. Disease or whatever. Um. But even then, she was just kind of one dimensional. She just kind of like fell flat for me. Yeah, um, you're not wrong at all. Um, <laughs> I mean. The the character of Deborah is, it's less about her as a fully fledged character and more about the idea of what she is in relation to Baby. Yeah, that's, that's true. To protect, something that he promised. Not yeah, to, uh, something else. It's his. It's his way out. It's his. Yeah. It's his way to get uh, a new life, is with her. So right. I get that. And you're right. Also with Darling, I mean she, she is rather one dimensional. She's strong in that she can handle herself. But she's so like intertwined with Buddy mm-hmm. that you're right, and and that I think comes from uh, again, right? You know, writing and directing for Edgar Wright and being kind of well. Number one, he's not a woman, so it's going to be harder <laughs> for him to write female characters. But um, yeah, I just think I think the the movie focused a lot more on the visual and audio and that synchronization between those two. Yeah. Um, than it did on the character development, and I think so. I can I can fully understand why it wouldn't be uh, highly ranked by um, somebody who really likes character driven pieces. Character driven, right? <laughs> I mean, art, like I said, artistically through the roof. Some of the best like film film. Uh, I always like they like cinematography mm-hmm. and music <laughs> composition, and like you said, the acrobats and the um, timing of everything that's obviously where the the strength of the movie and where people got like they fell in love with this like mm-hmm. the party that Gabe was talking about earlier was the friend throwing the party was just like this is my favorite movie and these are like the 19 reasons why and that being one of them is just like artistically the timing of it is fantastic and I definitely did enjoy that part I had a note down here that says symphony of sounds Mm-hmm. So it was like if you could close your eyes and not have to watch the movie, you could still follow along just auditorially 
with the movie itself. Oh, absolutely. It's just sym- symphony of sounds. And the big thing about the movie itself is also it it replays well because you are finding more and more things. Um, like when he's walking at the beginning, you see the graffiti on the on the yeah on the yeah, and, and it's got like stuff. lyrics from the song that's playing exactly. in his earbuds. And it, it, it I missed the first like Kristen kind of looked at it and then I I saw it but I wasn't sure what I saw and I kind of looked at her and I was like. Uh, stop that! Play that back real quick, and went back like a second. And I'm looking. I'm like, is that? And then we listen to like, holy shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point, <laughs> then you start like you, you, your attention basically diverts from baby, and you start focusing more on those background pieces. We're like, okay, where's this one? Oh, okay, this one's on the floor. This one's on the on the wall. This one's on the lights or the window. So yeah, and that's yeah, and so much of that is Edgar Wright, like. I think mm-hmm. back to Shaun of the Dead, and you have the long tracking shot where Shaun leaves the apartment, walks over to the shop, and comes back. And then later on in the movie, he does the same thing after the zombie outbreak, and it's the exact same shot, and all of the beats are the same. It's just now it's all zombie-themed. And yep. Edgar Wright is so good at doing these setups and callbacks. You know, I talked about in our Hot Fuzz episode, the entire script of Hot Fuzz is setting up a joke, and then it gets paid off. Yeah. Every single joke they set up in that movie gets paid off by the end of it. He does that so well. There's a scene in this where Baby's flipping through channels. All of those lines on all those shows that he's watching get used later on by Baby. Yep. And like that's that's Edgar Wright writing right there. You know. I didn't catch that until I thinking of it now when he was in the diner when he first met Deborah and then he he quoted Alpha Alpha mm-hmm. of You Are So Beautiful. Or oh, even Doc calls him out at the end. Just, uh, yeah. you're, you're just quoting Monsters, Inc. Like, get out of here. Yep, exactly. Well, one thing that I noticed too, I thought was kind of interesting was not only the use of music, but like kind of using it to set tempo and pace. I don't know if you've seen this movie. It reminded me a lot of Hudson Hawk. Yes. Yep. Where they counted so- like using songs as a measure to, okay, this is a you know, two minute and 30 second to get from door A to door B. So he's singing along, you know, swinging on a star and all these other things. As soon as like he started using, he's like, wait, okay, now and hits play. Like immediately I went into Hudson Hawk. I was like, what, what, wait, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> nope. You're not wrong there at all. And, and so we can't talk about this movie without talking about the music in the movie and music as a character in the movie. 100%. It was, that's a great comparison with Hudson Hawk. And the difference there was that Hudson Hawk used it as a storytelling device. That was a, that was how he did his his things. This in this movie, it's it's part of the world. It's part of who Baby is is music. And whether it's listening to the music or taking um, taking clips and remixing his own stuff and making his own little tapes, and which I thought was a cool um, cool little thing that he did. Mm-hmm. down to the way that the music would use, was utilized in the movie. There's 30-something songs that get used throughout the movie. They were all... Um, they all fit perfectly. And they even would, you know, time things. All this, Almost every single gunshot in the movie is yeah. timed out to a beat perfectly and in the percussion. Probably, it was almost probably the closest, I could say, to, like... A first-person movie like it had a very in, in many aspects of it especially with the way they focused on baby you could uh, like in a, as a gamer like you could kind of 
first person shooter type mentality. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of parts of that movie where you you almost feel your 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 baby driver in a sense of you only hear what he hears, you only see what he sees. They do a really good job of again, the robbery is happening and he's in the beginning in the car singing along and yep. using a water bottle and like the mo- the movie is his story. To yes. The point of because of the music, because of everything else, you are kind of him. Mm-hmm. When you're sitting right next to him, or you're his conscious sitting on his shoulder. Well, I would say, I would say the best scene for that is actually when he's originally making um, his foster dad Joe Joe the peanut butter sandwich. Yes, and it's putting the plate down, and then the the film or the camera pans back, and like you're you saying it's a first, almost like a first person shooter kind of like gets. I I get that from thinking of that scene. Where it pans back and pans up, like you would be following that person or that his that, line of sight, yeah, his exactly. Visual, his hearing, yeah. Everything. So that's really cool. Yep, and and all the scenes that had his foster dad in it, I loved. Um, I love when movies will will have somebody and the, where they will have something like sign language going on, mm-hmm. because it, one, it's awareness for stuff like that and how important that can be. But two, it it gives that character in this case baby another layer of depth because he's had to learn this so now you're you you kind of sitting there watching wondering okay is this something that he learned because of his foster dad did he have to learn it from you know you don't know about his background or or anything like that you just know that he's really into music um so i like that and and i love like learn it for himself in, in, in anticipation of his own deafness yeah it's inevitability if he's losing it and tinnitus is also if i'm not mistaken no like it gets progressively worse as you get older mm-hmm. yes it does so it's one of those things of i'm gonna have to learn to use this myself so and i love the shot where joe reaches down just to put his hand on the speaker uh-huh. and as soon as he touches the speaker the music comes up and it gets a lot yep. lou- louder uh i love I, that i was gonna say sitting here now going man i think the the dad was my favorite character. <laughs> like he—he he was the one that at least made me smile the most. Like oh, yeah. he, he just had a lot more depth, and you can almost look at it and go, "Oh, I wonder." I think baby, obviously, baby learned his love of music from his mom. Mm-hmm. But I feel like having a foster dad that maybe had had hearing at one point, but then might might have gone deaf. Deaf he or deaf can't talk tonight apparently. Um, <laughs> It instilled it fully, uh, uh, further instilled that love into music to Baby. Well, he got, he even got to a point where he was approving of one of the songs that he had, and was like, "Oh yeah, I approve of it." Well, not a I approve of the song, he but the girl, the girl. <laughs> yeah, there's also a clear connection. He's approved of the music as well. He's definitely, you know, kind of Motownish and stuff. And yeah, so it, it it drives that home as well. Of like, no, there's there's more to this guy as well. And I like the callback, like you said, when he puts his hand to the speaker. I like the callback at the end where Baby yep. end up, ends up doing that in the, the, the car. At yes. The end. Well, and, you know, the, that character, Joseph, he's the heart of the movie. Like, he's, the, he's Baby's um, kind of backbone almost and, like, what keeps him grounded. Like his humanity. Yeah, exactly that. And he was played perfectly. The The guy that plays him, CJ Jones, apparently was the only one to audition that was actually deaf. Oh, neat. Um, and I just, that was such a great uh, connection and uh, the chemistry between the two of them and the fact that Joseph, he, he knows. He knows what baby's doing is illegal. He knows it's bad, but he can't really do anything about it. And yes, moral compass, Phelan in the chat says. That's true. Yep. 
And he wants more. He wants better for Baby, but he can't really stop him. He can't do anything about it. He can just try to try to keep nudging him in that direction. Mm-hmm. So that was really, really a lot of fun. And just, oh man, the, the way music got used, like everything synchronizing. And they used one of my favorite driving songs of all time, which is Radar Love, even if it was only oh, for yeah. a short period. <laughs> yeah, a little golden earring though. That's like that's the song to. I'm gonna go out and just drive in in a direction without really going anywhere. You crank radar love. And the funny thing is, the, one of the first times I've ever heard that song was I was at um, the the Chicago Auto Show, mm. and um, they had a like a Bose display where you walked into this room like the size of a living room, and you stand in the center of this room and you hit this button, and like all these little speakers like kind of popped out. And they played Golden Earring, Radar Love, to a point of, like, you felt the song through every bone in your body. Oh, yeah. Trying to obviously, like, sell their, you know, super high-tech, you know, top-of-the-line, you know, Bose speakers for vehicles. But I just sat there and was like, I've not heard this song before. You know, I was 15, 14, something like that, and I'm just sitting there just like, Holy crap. So I, I actually, so fun fact on me, I, one of the first times I ever heard that song was at an auto show, like in a booth nice. listening to the, the speakers just blowing and, me away. And I, ha- I had a note here that it was like, how many people were turned on to music previously unknown to them once they had actually seen this movie? Oh, man. Like, I mean, I, I, can, I can fathom soundtracks themselves have the ability to do that, but for this movie alone, they're they're experiencing music that they wouldn't normally experience because Edward Wright went, Nope, this is the song I want. This is the song that is instilled this scene in my brain. This is how it's going to be done. Yep. And I just wonder how many, how, how many people walked away from that movie experience going, Oh, I need to know exactly what I was listening to immediately. Yes. And, and, Edgar Wright does that so well in so many of his movies. I mean, I can think back to, you know, Shaun of the Dead and like the um, "Don't Stop Me Now" from Queen, and, <laughs> and then Queen and then yeah, and exactly. then again Queen in this movie with, uh, mm-hmm. and you know T Rex and he used uh, Deborah from Beck and he's got yep. the so Bell Bottoms by the John Benton Spencer Blues Explosion, apparently was what inspired this movie in the first place that song okay and john spencer got to be a cameo as one of the prison guards in this uh-huh so that was kind of cool see that i didn't catch that <laughs> nice <laughs> got to read that uh that imdb trivia man i'm telling you yeah um but no that's, you're... What, I have, that's what i have dusty white for <laughs> <laughs> but no it's 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 one of those things where um the music in a movie like this when the music so a soundtrack comes out or you hear a song in a in a movie and you want to you want to search that out but when it's so intertwined in it you you almost feel like you have to so you're right yeah. i'm sure there was a ton i mean and they put so much in here there's blur on here and i've already mentioned golden earring you got Barry white yep. popping up young mc uh when he's yep. when he steals the uh the challenger mm-hmm. um you know, Brighton Rock is a great song. I mean, there's they played um, Simon and Garfunkel's "Baby Driver" over the end credits, uh-huh. so it's it's a phenomenal soundtrack. And yeah, uh, the, only, the you know the other movie I can think of that for me at the time that I saw it the first time had me wanting to go out and find the soundtrack for it was cliche as it may be was Garden State, 
when I first oh, saw that movie, easily. I was oh, like, easily. okay, I need to go get this soundtrack and listen to it. And, and I did. Um, and it's rare that you find that in a movie like where the, you, you want to go out. For me, I do that some with musical scores because uh-huh. I love scores. So it's like I'm watching The Lord of the Rings, and I'm like, I need to go find, you know, buy this score and listen to it. Sure. But soundtracks, you know, I listened to a lot of them when I was younger, but they would always be those music from and inspired by. Uh, the movie, uh-huh. and it was just a tie-in marketing thing. But something like this, totally different. I mean, Harlem Shuffle, which plays over the opening credits, and and I I'm also a sucker for a long take. So oh, does so, yeah, one easily yeah exactly. So you start this movie off with possibly one of the better car chase scenes I've seen in a movie in I can't tell you how long. I think the last time I watched a car chase that that got me like the opening of this movie was Ronin back in the nineties. Oh, wow. So you start I off like with that. So you've I already like got Italian me hooked. Job too, Italian <laughs> job. No, Italian job was really good. Um, but you start off with that and then you go right into a single long take of him walking down the street, getting coffee and coming back. Like I'm hooked. I'm going to enjoy and like the movie already. Right. Um, yes, Adi. Uh, Ronin was amazing with that car chase. That is one of my favorite <laughs> car chase movies of all time is Ronin. Um, and this movie had, oh man, so many good car chases and such such well choreographed and most of it is practical. Um, all the driving was really done and the driving was phenomenal. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not a good passenger in a car, and, and <laughs> this Dusty, movie, this and movie Dusty gave, right here can, can confirm. This, gave, this movie actually kind of gave Dusty Wright a little bit, or gave Kristen a little bit of anxiety at some point. <laughs> Definitely. She, she is a bad passenger, and it's funny because we literally just got back from a trip out in Michigan. Like, anytime we pass by a truck or anything else, like... She oh, just, yeah, the, the car underneath the semi? <laughs> oh, no, man. that hasn't showed up in plenty of my nightmares <laughs> at all. And then having to see it visually done. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. They have to do it to it demonstrate that Baby absolutely is, is the best in the business. Mm-hmm. But I just was like... As soon as I sat down, I was just like, you know what? I And, and I, it's myself to blame here because I was just like, I've never seen Baby Driver. I wonder what it's about. And then, of course, it's about reckless drive. Well, I guess, it- do you call it reckless driving? Yes. I mean, like, yeah. yes. okay. He was under control, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, I, I'm going to put myself through a movie full of, I mean, at least the music was distracting. <laughs> so what you're saying is you're not a big fan of the Fast and Furious franchise? I can't even say that because I actually do like that movie series. (laughs) I just hated exiting out of movie theaters because it didn't matter who I was with when I went to go see it. They would go out of the movie theater and suddenly drive like maniacs because they had just seen The Fast and the Furious. Well, Vin Diesel. (laughs) Yes. Well, and, and, and I'm thinking back to what you're saying about what music too. Like with Garden State, a lot of those songs are played to emphasize character moments mm-hmm. and to use to emphasize something happening to the characters. Uh, the, the big difference in this is that the music is the world. Like, it's as you said, it's its own entity, it's its own character. It's, it's actually its own... a fleshed out, through, well, I shouldn't say fleshed out, but it's actually the most dramatic and real character it's, in the but movie. It set, but it sets tone for the yeah. whole movie, not just for 
hey, here's, you know, here's a kiss or here's a sad scene. So here's a sad song. Like, this is the tone. This is what we're setting. And again, since it does from baby's perspective for the most part, it's, this is the tone. This is sad. This is what's going on. So a lot of those songs really emphasize that point more. So I would hazard a guess to even say more than something like Garden State. Oh, definitely. Uh, and Audie brings up a good point in chat, which is it's almost like the most epic strung together music video ever. It kind yeah, of is. Sure. Uh, I think it was the director of photography um, in one of the trivia bits was talking about he likened it to a modern day musical where mm-hmm. it's not there's not singing and dancing going on. But the music is such a part of the movie that you can't you can't have this movie without the music and the music but, that they used. And I'd even say, like, there wasn't singing, but in a way you could use the, the, the stunts by the vehicles as a form of dance. Oh, definitely. They, weaving in and out of traffic everything else like and it's very again don't want to sound cliche or anything else but that kind of skill that kind of maneuverability the fact that it's set to the music even the gunfire like Mm -hmm. being in tempo and tune is kind of its own choreography it goes beyond cinematography it goes into choreography yes everything else like that so while it's not a you know singing and dancing there is a lot of dancing or more importantly moving parts to Yes, there's really a lot of a ton of movement set to that music, and that's a good way to put it. Is the the car chases are choreographed like a dance. It was great, and and on top of that, there was just some slick stuff done, like where he he gets on the highway with the other two red cars and realizes what he's got, and you just yeah. uses that to his advantage <laughs> to get out of there, or how he took that truck up, you know, onto two wheels around that uh, stone wall. Like that stuff like that was like that. that was cool, um, and Phelan also put in the chat here, and, and I, I meant to mention this, but um, I loved some of those little Edgar Wright moments, like where he puts the sunglasses on and someone knocks him off his face, and he just pulls another pair yes. of sunglasses out. And I he just kept- wanted to, my note on this is I want to be three sunglasses cool. <laughs> Yeah, that is that has now become a rating. We were yes. talking about it. Like that's going to become a rating of how cool we are with our friends. Like, are you two sunglasses cool? Three sunglasses cool? Like, what do you got? Can you just dig them out? Yeah. Oh, that was that was awesome. Like the end of that scene is the best part because he just pulls another pair of sunglasses out and put them on. And uh, Edgar Wright had said, uh, as far as writing the character, his ex- his collection of sunglasses and iPods are from stealing cars. That was oh, the yeah. thing he kept from the cars. And reading that, it makes sense. That's why he would have all these random iPods and like weird bejeweled iPods and stuff. And then, of course, you go back and he he's done it. I think it, he, it's done twice in the movie where he he's looking at the iPod that he obviously gotten as a gift and from from his mom and obviously experienced the car crash mm-hmm. with him because it's all damaged. Yep. Um, I kind of love the 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 push and pull between Deborah and baby at first was kind of interesting um i i had a note here that says yeah okay so your name is deborah and you're like in two songs obviously baby because that's mm-hmm. his name is it, it wins hands down yeah but at least you're not come on eileen <laughs> I mean, at least it's not at least it's not that uh, nobody down. named eileen likes that song <laughs> i assure you um, that's too bad because it's a good song Objectively, it's, it's a good song. song with Eileen in the name of it, for <laughs> sure. Well, you're not wrong. Um, no, I just, oh, man. It, this was a fun movie. 
I think is what it boils down to. It's fun. Even even with um, how dark the character of Buddy gets at the end, it's still like, it's that Edgar Wright fun of like, and it wasn't nearly as um, gory as something like Hot Fuzz. Like Hot Fuzz had a lot more uh, on-screen violence. Yeah, I was surprised. Crazy. You could have probably taken out a couple of F-bombs in this and gotten a PG-13 rating. It's surprising yeah. that it was R-rated in some ways. Because, you know, even like on-screen deaths, I can't think of We're limited. much. No, there's, I mean, yeah, they got shot, but it's not. Yeah, but there's nothing you wouldn't see in James Bond. Or, I was going right, to say, exactly. or James Bond, or Final, I mean, I'll, I'll bring in the bang, correlation bang, Final Destination. Yeah, a bang, uh, bang, and then a splatter of blood mm-hmm. on a shirt. Like, okay. Final Destination with, like, the wrought iron poles. Like, well, it, well it, those it are rated R. Messy. <laughs> hey, got, well, no, the, uh, the Bat's uh, Final Demise was a bit of a, 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 bit of a mess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well deserved, though, because that character was awful. I love them. I don't know. I just, <laughs> oh, bats! Well, a, oh man! I love. I, yeah. I just like Jamie Foxx. I do too. I do too. And you know the. So, in the history of this show, there's only been two movies that haven't gone over great. One of those was um, Tank Girl. Nobody else liked Tank Girl but me, uh, but okay. I, I had seen it before. <laughs> Um, and that's the one I always come back to when I'm like, yeah, I get to show people new movies and they like them, except when I showed them Tank Girl. Um, but the other one for me was, um, and it's a Jamie Foxx movie, was Miami Vice. And that's not Jamie Foxx's fault. He was fine, but the movie was boring. Um, it was kind of doomed in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, overall, I like Jamie Foxx a lot. I just, you could have made, you could have not had Jamie Foxx in this and let John Bernthal be that character, and it would have been no different. If yeah. not, maybe even, I don't want to say better, because it's hard to say, because Bernthal would have done it much more um, like his uh, Punisher character. It would have been more angry, aggressive than um, the way Jamie Foxx did. Yeah, Jamie Foxx had a lot more crazy to him. <laughs> crazy seems to be the theme, though, in the last few years between all the Harley, Harley Quinn movies and even Joker. Like, a lot of these villains seem to be a little bit more on the... Uh, Crazy Kinda, spectrum. Yeah, they definitely start dancing. The they they, sk- they skirt away from the hot the crazy spectrum. Just go straight crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um. And the thing with bats as a character was, you know, he he just had no morals whatsoever. He mm-hmm. just. I mean, the, there's that line where it's like, "Have I met you before?" And he goes, "Are you alive? You know, or are you dead? No, then you haven't met me before. Like right. he just kills people. And well, I mean, he's he's a perfect like counter. If we want to use, if we want to play race in in this movie, like you have two African American characters that are, one is very clearly Baby's backbone, his moral compass, his his way to go, and his humanity, and the other one is the lack of humanity, the lack of compassion, the the psycho killer, so to speak. Hmm. That's I I hadn't really thought of it that way, but you're not uh you're not that far off, I don't think. It's interesting. Yeah. It's just interesting to see. And it's interesting to see characters. Um, like that, you know, because the only the only through lines are Bats is on two jobs, and uh, Buddy and Darla or Darling are on two jobs, so they're the only ones. And I did, so I did have a little bit of a problem with how the Buddy Baby dynamic went because it seemed like early on they looked at him as like, you know, he's a harmless kid. I don't have any problems with him. 
he even the sound clip I played at the beginning of the show is him sitting down listening to Brighton Rock with him and like right. connecting with him there. And it just it felt like he went he he went too quickly to the I blame you for everything type yeah, of deal. Yeah, it was very forced. It, it yeah. felt forced. Yeah, I'll give you that. That was one of the things that I mean, I see what they were doing because as much as they were painting Doc as the main villain because he, he clearly seemed like he and obviously he's a bad guy, but very clearly seemed like the main villain, and then Buddy over the tops it. And they and again another right trait of his buddies driving around in a squad car, there's always a red light like on half of his face. Mm-hmm. It gets foreshadowed. I was going to say it gets foreshadowed by um, Darling's uh, comment to Bats. Like once he sees red, you see black. Yep. And that's what the cinematography brought ahead. And that was immediately what I saw was, okay, now he's just gone to that. Uh, once I, once I've picked you as a bad, bad thing, then you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just felt like he he would have taken longer to get there, but I guess you're you're right when you bring that up. She mentioned that earlier, that mm-hmm. he just has that that switch that gets flipped. Yeah, exactly. And there's a couple of little clues that kind of gave it in terms of like, I guess with all the audio stuff, because I mean, I guess I guess maybe because we are all good people. I don't know if you've robbed any banks, Travis. I know I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're <clears throat> in that world of like crime and murder and everything else. I would think there would also be a, a heightened level of, oh, this kid's fine, he's innocent, and all of a sudden, oh, you've got a bunch of tapes recorded on us, you got all this. Yeah, that's true. I could see a switch turning almost immediately to going, oh, the kid's hard, this kid's fine, wait, you've got 15 yeah, exactly. years of recordings about us? Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to kill you now. Well, I even had a note here, and, and Gabe kind of made me write it because he said it. Uh, I guess I'll call it out as Gabe's note then. But he said, cursed job. It yeah. almost felt like a cursed job straight from the get-go because it was, you know, I don't work for the same team twice, but yet you're, he's his, he's Doc's lucky charm, mm-hmm. but then you're bringing on these other three people you've already worked with. They're going against the rules. They're going, like, every beat towards that second half of the movie is basically foresh- foreshadowing, this is a bad idea, don't do this. You know, bananas didn't get the phone or like the the call didn't get made called bananas, and right. you're, you should have just pulled the plug right then and there. Mm-hmm. No, uh, you, you're right. And um, oh man, so I had a couple other notes I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, Edgar Wright style thing was uh, when when Kevin Spacey is asking him, he's like, you know, do you want to do this or this? And his response is the first one. I love right. I love that kind of writing. Uh, sorry, I got myself lost here. <laughs> it's all right. I, I, do, I look. I do the same thing with uh, Kristen all the time. So. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know it. It's it's a fun movie. Um, the the cursed job in the second half. I'm just I'm still like letting that kind of roll around in my head because it's interesting, and everybody was trying to get out of it and he had an out he even had an out he could have said no i'm done i don't you know we don't have to do this kevin doc gave him that that choice and he still chose to keep doing it which was interesting to me and i think i don't know i almost wonder if that was because of like he felt like if he didn't do the job that bats would go after i don't know deborah yeah You and know. I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of like the, for, the, like I said, the foreshadowing that they do. So they, they, he knew he was 
locked in that night because they were staying there. Mm-hmm. And it's okay, whatever to, whatever I need to say to make it so that everybody goes goes to sleep and I can make my getaway, I don't care. Sure, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do the job. And then of course he he gets caught, but and I had a note here that is like the last day was the longest day ever. <laughs> yeah. Because you gotta it was. think that day started with Sam in the post office and it was 2 a.m. before like he was like uh run away with me at 2 a.m. right and then they go get they go get the or they knock him out they go get the tapes they go bring back the tapes they're like okay everybody gets some sleep we're waking up in the morning and i just had an like i wrote it down i was just like man this is the longest day in this kid's life forever Yeah. yeah it really was um yeah i I don't know. I just, I think I want to watch this again and try to try to pick some more things out of it. Cause you're making me think about it in a different way. You know, I've, I've seen it once now and it was, it really hit me with the music and the, the pacing and everything. It felt it's just under two hours and it definitely didn't feel um, overly long at all. I thought it was paced really no, it well. Quick. It went really quick. Um, and yeah. it's that I guess that's and and again I'll, I'll probably end up seeing it in the near future again. Um, keeping an eye on background stuff, keeping an eye on because another right trait of hiding stuff in plain sight. Oh yeah, trying to look for like little goofy things and seeing what you can spot and what might have been missed. And I guess the way the movie plays itself too is you don't have to pay attention to baby, you don't have to pay attention to the main characters even because I. Go through a while, like do another run through of the movie without focusing on them. Start looking at dials, like the way the dials are turned, or if there's a clock set at a specific time. I bet you're going to find some sort of meanings or, or hidden messages scattered throughout the whole movie. Oh, I'm sure. It's kind of what I thought about um, the second watch through I did of Knives Out. I kind of had that same feeling. Like oh, I was like, I all right, I'm. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And. <laughs> and I went, I went and saw it a second time, and it was one of those where it's like, all right, I'm going to watch it this time, but I'm going to um, pay attention to other things, and you pick up more that second yeah. watch through. It's like um, the usual suspects is another one, and, and Kevin Spacey's in that, but um, that movie, when you watch it more than once, you pick up on all these other things, and the best description of that I ever heard was somebody mentioned, it's like going to a, a play, but sitting in a different part of the theater and it's a totally different experience. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so I think my go my go-to movie for that is The Prestige. The that's Prestige a good one. is always one to to like I soon I would say that's one of the handful of movies that I went and saw more than once in the theater just because I was like, "Oh, you got to go see this movie." Oh, well, I don't know. And I was like, "No, I'll go see it again with you. Let's go." Because you just you go back and you're like, "Oh, I didn't catch this before. I didn't catch that before." You're just like, "Man, that was it, it's it's the difference between a movie that's only made to be watched once versus a movie that's made to be watched multiple times." Yeah. Yep, the layers. You get movies that have layers in them. Yep. Well, this was a, a really fun uh, discussion. I'm glad you guys made it on. I'm sorry that you didn't love the movie, but um, oh, but at the okay. same time, I you love, appreciate I love the it. experience. Yeah, absolutely. I don't ever. I love entertainment in general. Like, I, I, even though uh, Gabe here is not a big movie watcher, I am, and I'm 
there's very rare times that I've ever been like, what did I just waste <laughs> my time on? This definitely wasn't one. I, I enjoyed it for what it represents is what it tries to portray as, like you said, a very, like a, a, a musical. Um, but it just, like I said, character development is big for, for me. So it's kind of like, okay, if I look, I could watch it again and be like, okay, now I enjoy this for absolutely what it is and maybe don't look for that character development. And then I'm going, okay, this is just a fun movie. Like you said, Travis, it's, it's definitely a fun movie. And of course, as usual, Kristen and I are complete opposites. <laughs> I love the movie because of the 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 fact that my emphasis was on music and on the cinematography and on um traits and on like like things happening in unison and in time and like the characters i kind of phased out at some point and i was like again watching the graffiti watching as he's turning the dials and seeing what stations he's going and seeing if there's any little messages being hidden there right I like that kind of i mean I only recently watched Harry Potter for the first time. Yeah, I know I'm way behind. <laughs> but as I'm watching it, I'm just dissecting the movie as we going. Not so much about the characters, but like, why is this going on here? What's going on here? And it's just, I like more of what's going on in the background compared yeah. to the actual characters. Well, and you like the things that usually get ignored <laughs> versus the character development that 90% of movies are always made for or books are always right for written for is character development. There's a reason why I play a thief or a rogue or those kind of characters <laughs> every game that we play is because I'm too busy paying attention to the surroundings and what's going on. Very true. Well, you know, and, and there's a place for both types of entertainment too. Like this doesn't have as much character development, but it's got a lot of other things going on for it. You know, a movie that I watched um, a few weeks ago was Monster uh, with Charlize Theron, and that has a ton of character development. It's all character-driven, but I have no desire to see that movie a second time. <laughs> yeah, Logan kind of does that for me, too. Uh, just old man Logan. I love the comics, and I love uh, the character development of Wolverine itself. But Logan is a one and done. I never, I, I will die happy if I don't ever have to watch that movie again. Not that it wasn't good for what it was. It's just, I don't think I could watch it again. And Monster is very similar to that for sure. Yeah. Or another one that we did was um, uh, Mystic River, which I've seen a couple of times. Um, but that one's a tough one to watch more than once. Uh-huh. So, and it, so you need that. You need to balance things out by having something like this. It's a little lighter on the on the source material and the subject matter, but it, it stimulates other things. It gives you the visuals, it gives you the audio and it just gives you something different. And I, I love that. So this one for me, really good. It's not, I still need to see Scott Pilgrim versus the world, obviously. Um, yes. So, <laughs> but I don't put this, like I would put this maybe above the world's end for me in terms of Edgar Wright films um, but below Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead because Hot Fuzz um, is one of my favorite movies of all time I I watch it like once a year Um, I'm with you on that one actually I've I've seen it several times I have to be honest I've never seen it oh you, need, you, you know what? I think when we're done here, I may actually have to put it on because if, I have it sitting three feet to me. If you right like, I love Shaun of the Dead, but I've never okay. seen him. So, Shaun of the Dead was to zombie movies. Hot Fuzz is that for action films. So, if you would all like, 
you know, Bad Boys or Lethal Weapon or The Rock or any of those cheesy 80s and 90s action films. Buddy cop movies. Buddy cop movies. <laughs> all of that. Yeah, I mean, oh, if the you like of the weapons and the zooming in on it. Oh, yeah, if you like any of that, you will love Hot Fuzz because it is all of that distilled down into one movie. All right, all and right. Si- all and right. Simon Pegg just rocks, so I'll call it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Simon Pegg is super cop. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I... Again, I just want to thank you guys. This was a ton of fun. I, I love doing this. Um, I love having people on, and I got to see something new. So that's always fun for me, too. Um, Yay. That was awesome, dude. Thanks Absolutely. for having us. Absolutely. Thank you. And we'll thank do it you again. Thank you so much. Um, we'll find another movie. Uh, apparently, Gabriel's got plenty of movies we can watch. Um, <laughs> I've got some weird ones seen. I have seen, though. That's a, I'm, I'm going to end up sending you a photo of my little movie collection. You're okay. probably just wonder what the hell happened. <laughs> that sounds good. Oh. But um, so let people tell us about your show that you guys do. Give you a, uh, well, give you a few minutes uh, to pimp your stuff. Yeah, thanks. We are well. We are Gray Muscle Geekery. Um, we are we go under monikers of Dusty Red and Dusty White. Um, we're just kind of old gamers and old fans of nerd culture that kind of popped up into modern, um, modern mainstream media for the most part. You know, we talked in the past about how we used to get picked on for playing Dungeons and Dragons and how, you know, comic books were seen as kids like hiding in a basement and had to hide all their stuff. And as we grew up and grew older, you know, stuff like Game of Thrones, stuff like, I mean, even Hot Fuzz to, to a degree. And, and Shaun of the Dead is taking these tropes and these things and making it more mainstream and more public and more enjoyable for all, for all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. So now we like to go back and kind of, tease about some of that stuff and then obviously we do some of our own uh stories and experiences we hit a lot of breweries we do you know we have segments to kind of help pick up our some of our adventures yeah we just basically recap kind of uh nostalgia uh we do new news break uh new segments and then we kind of just talk about what we've done and what we stories that we've had and growing up and again like you said kind of we were geeks before it was cool, so we mm-hmm. kind of just recap that, and that's that's basically what what we we do and talk about. Awesome. And we could be found. Uh, we could be found on any of your favorite podcast listening locations. Um, just look for Gray Muzzle Geekery, or you can find us on Twitter at Gray Muzzle Geek. Nice. Yeah, it was funny. We were talking about LARPing at one point, um, Kristen, and yep. you uh-huh. know, I was like, "Yeah, LARP." Uh, I learned about LARPing. And what it was, I want to say I was probably like 20-something. And I was like, wait a minute. That was just that was me in recess like throughout all right. of school. Like that's just what we did. So exactly. it, it, is, it is interesting to see how that's become so much more mainstream now. And more, and I hate saying accepted, but it kind of is. Like, Well, the, I mean, one thing we kind of joked about is depending on your definition of LARP, live action role play, mm-hmm. if you've ever been to a murder mystery party, or an escape room. Have you ever yep. been to an escape room? So yeah. To a degree, you are a you are in. It's live action role playing. You're playing out a role. You're playing a, a game or something, and you have a specific role you're designated in. You know, played cops and robbers as a kid. That's all. Yeah. Live action role playing. It's just this time I've I've got foam weapons and and a different set of rules. Yeah. No, it's it's great and and it's a good show. So, um, you know, check out uh, Gray Muscle you. Geekery. Uh, thanks. And the Absolutely. two of you are. And we will for sure be on again, Travis. Anytime. Oh, definitely. I will. I will be getting a hold of you. Don't worry about that. Because uh, this was fun. I, I have a blast doing this and bringing everybody on. And 
I just I love it. I love doing that, and you guys are great. So thank you again for being on. Um, Gray Muscle Geekery. Uh, Follow him on Twitter because, you know, you should. Do that. Do that. Uh, So coming up on this show next week, um, I have uh, actually Drew from ANTP Season 2. And our wonderful producer, Hammond, is going to join us as well. We're going to watch. Yes. uh, And we're going to watch Judge Dredd from 1995. With Stallone. Oh, I was going to ask which one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so we're doing Judge Dredd. The week after that, I'm going to bring Drew and Hammond back, and we're going to watch Dredd from 2012 oh, with Carl Urban. Nicely oh, done. nicely so, done. Because as I told them, uh, Dredd is an amazing film, and Judge Dredd is a 90s Stallone film. So there we'll have, you go. We'll have some fun there. Good. Yep, Absolutely. Uh, and then also coming up um, later on, towards the end of the month, um, I found somebody who's never seen Top Gun before. So we're going to watch that. Uh, Jay Dimes from Joystick and Mouse. Okay. So uh, got some fun stuff coming up. And um, if you are out there listening and you have any ideas or suggestions for movies you want to hear us talk about, um, you can follow me on Twitter at TV's Travis and send me, uh, you know, send me some suggestions. I'm always looking for new stuff. Um, but until next week, what I like to say is get out and enjoy your movies, and then everybody, just be excellent to each other. No, 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 page one. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>